0: Pixel Therapy is a member of the But Why Though Podcast Network.
1: Go to butwhythopodcast.com for an inclusive geek community offering pop culture news, reviews, and podcasts.
2: The theme of this game, of it being kind of guiding a spirit to reach a peaceful end, like that is so important and I think it's so prominent in Balinese culture and Balinese culture and Balinese music go hand Mm. in hand. You can't have one without the other. Mm. And so... I think because of of those themes, of it being about the community, about giving back, is just resonates so well with what Gamelan means and, and Gamelan, what Gamelan does in the community. Right? It's it brings people together and it gives back to the community.
0: Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every week we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss the games that have made them and changed them, and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your co-host Jamie, pronouns she, her.
1: And I'm your co-host Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy.
0: It is time for our Patreon monthly shout out. Woo-woo! This is our special thank you to the fine folks who subscribed at the name in the credits tier or above on patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod for support during the month of August. We are giving an extra special thank you to Val and Genevieve. Thank you so much, Val and Genevieve. Huge thank you to you both for your support of pixel therapy. If you want to get your name in the credits, head over to the Pixel Therapy Patreon, where you can check out all of our perks and get access to a monthly bonus episode for just $2 a month. In the August bonus episode, we chatted about Spencer's new Xbox, our general gaming feels, and all the games that came out this year that we wish we had the time to get back to. If that sounds like something you might be interested in, then just pop on over to patreon.com slash pixeltherapypod and sign up for only two dollars today and if that's not in the cards for you it does help to rate us and review us on apple podcasts if you write us a review we may just have to read it on the show sometime but no matter how you choose to support just remember that spencer and i are so happy to have you here Mm -hmm. all right it's time to get cozy pull up an armchair feel free to lie down on the couch let's talk about our feelings spencer what's up with you today
1: so uh If anyone knows what a snake hole looks like, send us an email because I found a mysterious hole in my yard this week. Oh no. Um, My partner put a rock over it, but then we took it off because we were like, oh, what if, I don't know. Even if it's a snake, it would be sad if they came home and they can't get back in. But there's this mysterious hole. It's like small. It's only like the width of maybe like three quarters put next to each other. But then it goes like really deep and like it, Turns off to the side. So I don't, I just don't know. That um, sounds like a snake hole. Yeah. Yeah. How do they? How do they dig that? Do they just like spin around really fast in the hole? Like, how do
0: they do that? <laughs> you know, it's a good question uh, that I've never actually googled. But that sounds like a snake hole. As someone who grew up in the country and we had snake so, holes in the yard,
1: if anyone knows how snakes make a hole,
0: like <laughs> a no, I really never thought about it. But it's such a good point, right? They don't have hands. They don't yeah. have dig. They don't have little diggers. They
1: just have a whole mouth. <laughs> go
0: oh, god. Yeah. Um, Are they like taking bites of dirt and spitting it out? it out. I don't know. I want to see a snake
1: spit. out. Out a mouthful of Same. something. Speaking of snakes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we want to talk about the God of War Ragnarok trailer. Yeah, show? yeah. <laughs> I love that transition. I was so I was I was working on my transitions. Is that? Was that good? That was, was good, that, yeah. yeah. I thought that was good.
0: People, everyone write in, let us know if you like Spencer's uh, snake hole to Jormungandr yeah. transition. Thank you, yes. <laughs>
1: uh, snake hole to Jormungandr transition, yes. Um, <laughs> anyway, sorry, just to give people, the people context if you aren't, clued into playstation news like yeah, we are, yeah. in, with a direct iv um <laughs> last week was the what they call it was it a showcase yeah it was a
0: sony showcase 40 minutes of new game trailers and release dates and all that fun stuff
1: we, got, we got a very got sexy it. god of war ragnarok trailer uh yeah, was direct sequel to 2018 god of war um starring Old Man Kratos. Well, he's not that old. Middle-aged Kratos. They call and him Old Man Kratos. Old Man Kratos and his son, Atreus, <laughs> slash... Can we spoil it at this point? Where is it? Uh, did they say it in the trailer? Ooh, that's a good point.
0: Never mind. What are we talking about? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows?
1: <laughs> uh, go play God of War 2018 if you haven't yeah. done that yet. And then you'll know what we you'll were sitting at there. But his yeah. son, Atreus... Um, Atreus was what, like eight or maybe ten years old in the first game. Yeah, yeah. That sounds right. I think now, now he's supposed
0: to be like maybe 14 or
1: 15. 14, 15. That sounds boy, he'll be like young man.
0: Yeah, yeah. He definitely <laughs> seemed like he's starting to be a little bit of a shitty teenager yeah. in the in the trailer. Like not too shitty. I think he's asking some good questions. And of course Kratos, not somebody who likes to answer questions, uh, just thinks that everyone should shut up and uh, live and their fight lives. stuff. Yeah, and for shut up and fight stuff. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it seemed like he was asking some good questions, um, but also just asking them in a little bit of a shitty teenager
1: way. Yeah, like I, I can't wait to see that kind of character interaction between like teenager Atreus, who's starting to kind of come into himself and have more of a uh, putting his stake in the ground against his father mm-hmm. versus being like very much. Wanting to emulate and please his father in the first game. So I'm just curious to see that tension coming up against Kratos. Like, yeah. it's like uh, an unstoppable force hitting an immovable object <laughs> yeah. and how that's going
0: to fan out. Yeah, daddy Kratos and his teenage son. It's yeah. not going to be a fun dynamic for Kratos oh who does not like to have his authority questioned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's, that's going to be a tough one. A but tough we got one. some
1: uh, really exciting character reveals. Um, mm-hmm. Tear. The god of war in Norse mythology. Um yep. Thor, who got thunder. We all know Thor. Um, yeah. uh Boda, who mm-hmm. in the Norse mythology is kind of like Loki, Loki's lover. Yeah. Um, and who else did we get a reveal for? And we also
0: got Durlin. Mm. So I'm not sure who Durlin is. Oh. But he appeared to be in living in an area with Brock and Sindri or near Brock and Sindri or the two dwarf brothers in the original God of War. Um, He seems to be some sort of a shopkeeper of some kind. He's got like a pet, Squid that <laughs> <laughs> <Nice. laughs> doesn't seem to need to be in water. It's like on his shoulder in the drawing that they released afterwards. And in the trailer, he like pulls it out of a jar and it's like crawling around on his hand.
1: So Okay, lit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, then that would be it. We don't really know much about Durling. We just got a flash of him. Whereas I think we we heard Thor and
1: Angerbota speak. Yeah. yeah. And Brock and Sindri uh, are the dwarf brothers who created Mjolnir, Thor's Hammer, Mm -hmm. as well as um, Kratos' axe that he uses throughout most of the first game. Yep. Um, And they're awesome. Um, So I wanted to talk... I guess I wanted to talk... I wanted to ask you... A little bit of what you thought of especially the character reveals for Thor and Tyr, because they were big figures that were spoken about throughout the 2018 game that we have very much been built up towards, like who they are, are they still alive? Like was are mm-hmm. the, the fan theories around them? Um, and I think like so with Thor, you know, like the like Marvel verse has done a lot to kind of put an idea, at least in like, our heads uh in the past 10 years about like what thor looks like and yeah. very like chris hemsworth chris hemsworth like but like uh what's it sanitized like heroic kind of very <laughs> handsome vibes uh-huh. um whereas the way thor is depicted in legend and and in in god of war specifically too it is maybe more nuanced than that to put it lightly
0: (laughs) yeah i don't don't know if anything about the their character design of thor is nuanced but (laughs) he's very he's very broad shouldered he's built like a power lifter so very broad shouldered thick arms thick hands um but he's got a kind of a big beer belly uh thor in mythology is known for being quite the the partier Mm -hmm. um but also like very strong. I think in, in Norse mythology, the whole thing with Mjolnir, it's not the, you know, what we've come to know of it in the MCU is that you have to be worthy mm-hmm. to wield Mjolnir. But I believe in <clears throat> original Norse mythology, it's just that it's heavy as fuck. So you have to be really fucking strong to be able to pick it up. So they've, yeah. they've designed him to look more like a power lifter, um, where he does have very broad, thick shoulders and arms. Um, but a big, a big belly and chest, um, yeah. I think he looks fucking cool as shit. Yeah, he definitely I, looks like he he could give Kratos a run for his
1: money. <laughs> absolutely. He does. <laughs> um and I, I think I I brought up the nuance thing because I've seen a lot of tweets and just general internet reactions of like, yeah. this is the worst Thor depiction I've ever seen. Or this is like, he's so ugly. Or like, why is he so fat when he's Thor? He's so strong. And I just feel like um, that was surprising to me because I didn't, I didn't see a lot of the fan backlash until a couple of days after the initial reveal. And mm-hmm. all I felt when I saw him was excitement because I was like, wow, this looks like someone who, the way he's described, like someone who loves to drink and party, but also is very strong. Like that's the kind of body type I would expect. Yeah. Um, and also like I don't know, like uh, if you like gay bears, I think you'll, have, <laughs> you'll find a lot to enjoy in Thor. <laughs> yeah, in the in in the Santa Monica God of War Ragnarok depiction of Thor. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I, I guess I didn't really get a lot of the outrage. Um, and I I'm excited. I think this character looks uh, like how they're. "Quote unquote," supposed to, um, but I don't know if you had any thoughts on 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 that stuff too.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I love the character design. I think he looks great. I don't even even if uh, Sony. Santa Monica studio wanted to you really closely to quote unquote how the characters are supposed to look. These are mythological characters. So really, I I personally am really comfortable with them taking them in whatever direction they think is going to be interesting Mm. and fit with the characters they're creating. They made it very clear with this franchise from the, the previous game that this is inspired by Norse mythology and they are drawing from Norse mythology, but this is not necessarily a direct (laughs) telling of Norse Mm -hmm. mythology. And I don't necessarily think it should be. I think that's what's cool about exploring mythologies through the God of War series is being able to kind of pull at them and and play with them. And and Kratos isn't a character that exists in any mythology. So they've, they've inserted him even when they were making the Greek games. Mm -hmm. And it was always really interesting to see him be inserted into that space and then go from there and play with it and pull at it. Yeah. I love that they're doing that. I think the character looks awesome. I think he looks like a badass. I do think he's a little sexy. And mm-hmm. like, <laughs> I can't wait to fucking fight him because I feel very confident that that's going to be an early fight in the game is uh, yeah. Thor showing up to their house uh, and, and asking for revenge for his two sons that Kratos killed in the first game. So You think we're going to be able to wield Mjolnir as a weapon? That would be pretty fucking cool to bring the lightning. But uh, I I think it's a definite possibility. I think it's a definite
1: possibility. I guess on that point of mythology and and how an interpretation of it can be anything, especially because Kratos, you know, himself is inserted into the Greek pantheon and then Mm -hmm. wreaks havoc since then. Like, I guess I was... I guess sometimes I'm reminded that I'm not the target audience for these games, even though I feel like people within marginalized groups are sometimes can be like the ones with the most exciting and deep and uh like big takes on these games and, and the ones who kind of hold them closest and kind of pick them apart and find things to Uh, resonate with within them because we have so little so that we kind of look for subtext and look for symbolism and look for things that are unsaid within these games that don't include us. Um, And I guess I'm just reminded that I'm not actually the target audience for these games, even though I have such a strong emotional connection to them, Um, just in the sense that, like, I still felt like for the most part, it still seems like a very white male kind of like cast and um, Anger Boda and her depiction in the game. um, She's a black woman, which I'm very excited about. Mm -hmm. Um, But even in the trailer, she was kind of like tacked on at the very end for a split second. Um, And I guess I, in general, I was like, I guess I was expecting a little bit more diversity in these new characters just because the first game, didn't really have a ton of it. And I know where it's supposed to be Norse mythology for whatever people, whatever, you know, reasons people come up with for why everyone's white. I just kind of feel like because of the liberties we're already taking with these legends, like why not go all the way and just like, like, just throw the whatever arbitrary rule book out the window about like what people within this world are are quote unquote supposed to look like. I don't know. I guess I just, I keep expecting more and more, especially after the, Like, I thought that games like, like with The Last of Us, bringing Last of Us 2 bringing in, uh, you know, a transgender person of color into a main character role and all the buzz around, like, oh, 2021, we have all this trans representation in games. Um, Like, Norse, I think, like any story having to do with Loki, like the most gender fluid and like, like queer one of the queerest like examples of like a god imaginable I, I don't know i just i think i was i just wanted to see a little bit more of of that kind of expansiveness and i still felt like a little bit underwhelmed in that way um i don't know if uh, like if if you had any of those kinds of thoughts as you're watching the trailer but and if you didn't, that's okay too. Like I know that I'm maybe biased in terms of what I look for, uh, and I have to remember that like God of War, largely the fan base is like capital G gamers and like guys who with the original series was. It was very much geared towards like a certain kind of gamer. So maybe I'm I'm queering God of War more than I than <laughs> well, it deserves. But like
0: I, I don't know. I no, just- I think I think the critiques. <laughs> i think the critiques (laughs) that you're leveling are perfectly fair um and and it would i would love to see uh mainstream games uh like god of war start moving in these directions to represent a wider variety of people much more quickly um yeah i would love to see that too that would be amazing i think the response (laughs) that happened even just to the anger boda reveal yeah and the fact that they made her a black woman, like it's already, the internet has already like come out on fire because of this. And (sighs) so I think it's, I don't know. I don't, I both don't want to be like, we we shouldn't be happy with scraps right like right. this is one small adjustment that they made in a game that yes is like almost completely dominated by white men mm-hmm. there's one other prominent female character in the game and who knows how much she'll even feature in the sequel mm-hmm. right i'm referring to freya who is in the first game i don't know you know i don't know what the how the numbers break down i don't know how the audience breaks down but god of war sells a ton of games yeah and it cannot be doing that solely on the backs of just cis white male gamers. <laughs> yeah. So there is a, there is a large diversity of folks who are playing and enjoying these games. And I think that number is only going to increase as they make the stories more relatable, they make the characters more relatable, and they increase the diversity of the cast and the diversity of the representations they're in. Yeah. So hopefully they're going to keep pushing in that direction. The rumor is that the next mythology is supposed to be Egyptian mythology. hmm Which
1: could really break the door is wide open, but absolutely.
0: Um, you
1: know that's but, just a but rumor. Right now, have, it shouldn't have to be like, oh, we're doing Egyptian mythology now, so I we agree. can have people of color. It's like that's. But I'm not saying that's what you're saying. I just, I just want to make sure everyone knows. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. No, it, like, I, I do think to some degree,
1: like this, this
0: game, God of War Ragnarok, uh, they've said that this is going to be the end of the Norse series. Okay. So. It's it's these two games. They made the first game the way they made it, and they created the world yeah. that they made. And I think this game feels like they are trying to push a few edges where they can, but they're trying to
1: stay within the lines of what they had already drawn out. But, like, I guess, okay, yes. And, like, we never saw what Thor or Tyr looked like in the first game. It was just through, like, statues and cave drawings. So I guess I kind of was, like... Like with Tyr, he's like a tall white man. <laughs> yeah, uh, which I'm, which I'm fine with. Like, I'm not saying like, oh, we can't have white cis men in games. It's not what I'm saying. And who knows? Maybe th- Tyr is trans. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, like because there was so little. Like, there was, the door was wide open in terms of how they could have depicted Tyr and Thor. I mean, with gods, there's like people being formed from stone and people jumping out of other people's foreheads. So it's like, I don't even know that the typical rules of like genetics and stuff have to apply. Um, like their physical forms are just interpretations that can be perceived by like humans. So it's like, does that need to adhere to like race or like genealogy? Like, I don't know that I buy into that. Um, so I guess I'm just saying like with tear, I think with how, much he was built up in the first game maybe i was expecting more and i guess i don't think of someone who builds worlds and stuff as like a white dude but Mm -hmm. like (laughs) yeah that's just my internal like i don't know i just um like i'm sure the writing is going to be awesome i'm I'm very excited for the game i'm not like poo-pooing the way the game is being put together i think i just um I think maybe with Tyr specifically, like, I didn't really feel like there was anything tying him to any one way of being, and so I was expecting mm-hmm. more. But maybe that's part of it. Maybe the fact that he is kind of, like, smaller, or, I mean, he's really tall, like, he's taller than Kratos, yeah. but the fact that he's kind of, like, doesn't look super buff, kind of just looks, uh, like, more like an intellectual than a warrior, mm-hmm. like, maybe that's part mm-hmm. of, you know... The subversion of our expectations. Yeah, I
0: mean, I think we've all almost all we have to go on with here is the visual. Yeah, that's literally all we've seen, and we don't really know anything else about him. And I do know that, like. Following the first game, I know you were like much more on the God of War Reddit than I was, much more <laughs> like reading. And there were a lot of fan theories and a yeah. lot of speculating about Tyr and who he was. I know there was even a theory that um, Tier might be Kratos mm-hmm. uh, or that Kratos was going to become Tyr in some fashion. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's perfectly reasonable to be disappointed. I think it's perfectly reasonable to want to see more diversity from these games. Um, I just want... I just want everything
1: now. <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm like, yeah. All right, we all know these games are like cis heteronormative AF. Let's uh, let's ramp up the diversity like yesterday, and so yeah, yeah. I need to let you know the rest of the gaming industry, AAA gaming industry, catch up.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, like I, if they. I, and I I don't know. I think, I think that Sony Santa Monica is a studio that should be able to make those kind of decisions and say like consequences be damned because people are going to play these mm. games anyway. Right. Like I do think it's important for these bigger studios to be making these choices and to not say fuck the gamers, but a little bit say fuck the gamers. Like if you want to mm-hmm. play this game, you're going to play it and you're going to deal with the fact that we put this stuff in here that maybe makes you mad. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. you know, because even these folks who are like pissy about Anger like they're still going to fucking play this game. Um, and smaller independent developers who are trying to make their games more queer and make their games more diverse, they don't have those sit that same um, pull in the industry. And they're yeah. doing it with a lot more risk to themselves. So it does feel like these uh, giants of the gaming industry should be taking bigger uh and more dramatic steps but you know they've got all the yeah. penny pinchers in the mix too and they don't want to rock the boat
1: yeah and th- and like that's part of it too is um for me like um like the actress playing Angra boda i think her name is Laya de leon hayes she's 17 years old she's half filipina half black um so filipina representation whoa woo! but um like I think the fact that she's like basically the only black person in this game um, and already like all these fans are like rearing their ugly heads and pushing back. And it it just feels like this is why we need more because it shouldn't fall on this one 17 year old girl, all of this hate and, and vitriol and misplaced like anger or whatever that is, is like, like, this is such an amazing career opportunity for her. It's also just an amazing addition to like the God of war, like, you know, cast and of characters. And and, like, I'm excited to have this character. And it's just like, I don't know. It just feels unfair that she has to carry the weight of being the, like the first black person to be in God of war, uh, like in a, in a visible way. Um, Like, I, I don't know. It just feels like, I don't know. I just, I want, I think lately too, I think I've been seeing a lot of hate rising online, like just with all the hate raids happening on Twitch and just the kind of, like, I I just feel like um, these studios are doing the bare minimum. And then they're also kind of just like, they think adding one black person is like fixing their diversity issues when like yeah. it's so much deeper than that and they yeah. they need to like be building it in from the ground up. I also don't want to undercut um like I'm not saying that this character exists just as a as a as a band aid. Like I I want to give full recognition to this character's like autonomy and like they their importance being part of the story. I don't want to undercut that at all. I just think it's it's a scary it's a scary place being a visible yeah. person of color in a triple A AAA video game, and a, for a mm-hmm. seventeen year old actress to be put in this role, um, and having to be the one face of representation in this game, mm-hmm. knowing that the audience is going to have a lot of heavy reactions in a lot of ways. I don't know.
0: I just yeah. It's just like what what are the safety mechanisms that are going in place? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. the The problem is that there's not enough of it, and so then yes. And by it, I mean diversity. I shouldn't mm-hmm. say just it. There isn't yeah. enough diverse diverse representation in mainstream games. Period. And so because of that, the folks that do get represented. A lot of weight gets put on their shoulders that is not yeah. fair or appropriate to them, yeah. um, and that weight comes in many different forms. It comes in the hate campaigns. It yeah. comes in the the tokenization, the the feeling that like they that one actor, actress, or individual or character has to represent or stand for all the experiences that fall under that particular identity. Yeah, um, it's it's un uncarryable <laughs> yeah by any individual character story um actor period it's yeah. not it's not sustainable we have to have these things presented more frequently and it needs to be multiple characters in this yes, game. It needs yeah. to be stories that are focusing on these topics. I do have some optimism that we are getting there, but I mm-hmm. I agree it is not happening fast enough. And so as we take these baby steps, really, yeah, yeah. it is a baby step and it's not <laughs> where we should be, but that's what it is. If, if you are going to take this baby step, what are you as Santa Monica studio, as a, as a, as Sony. The owner of this studio, what are y'all doing to ensure that the folks that you are putting out there are being protected? Yeah. Because the internet is unfortunately a very dangerous fucking place these
1: days. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, we're definitely super excited about <laughs> the quality diversity of and uh like ethnic diversity, <laughs> cultural diversity in the new God of War game. We're like we're I'm excited. excited for the doggos. Yeah. There's, a sl- there's yes, sled dogs. There's sled dogs. We're just lovingly we love we love these games, right? So yeah. that's why we're we we're talking about them so much because yes. we love them. Like, we're very excited. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> let's um let's let's talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> what are you playing right now, Spencer? So I'm playing a little game called Psychonauts 2, which we talked a little bit about in our last episode. Um, I was actually, we were both playing Lake, a game where you move home from your high-powered tech job to be a male person for like two weeks, which I am excited to talk to you more about because you actually finished. Yes, um, But there was like a big game-breaking bug that happens about like halfway through yeah, the game. Unfortunately, and unfortunately yeah, like it, it took the devs a, a little time to fix it and so I kind of just started playing a different game in the meantime and then totally got distracted but um, I've been playing Psychonauts 2 um, really I just it's a platformer um, you're, you're a spy who jumps into people's minds to like explore their psyches and, and help them fix their emotional problems um, and I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about it I think it's, it's really a great like I love Having the Xbox Series X and Game Pass, so I can just like download it and play it. It's been really fun and satisfying to play. And I think playing um, Psychonauts Two, which is uh, Double Fine and sequel to the 2005 original Psychonauts, um, and then also playing Ratchet and Clank recently from Insomniac, um, another kind of revival of a beloved early aughts title. Um, I'm just struck by how the this kind of the real visual. Diversity it brings to the gaming experience. Like, I feel like these next gen consoles, a lot of the big titles have been focused on hyper realistic graphics. Um, and just the way uh-huh. that these games kind of bring back uh, really distinct stylized more cartoony art styles um mm-hmm. and it, like the console's graphic capabilities like really really shine um like the like the level design in psychonauts 2 is wacky and surreal and incredible um and it's just like the textures and the colors and the shapes of things and the physics um like it's all just it comes together in a really visually satisfying way the the
0: detail in the variety of locations yeah as well uh i've been playing psychonauts too a bit as well i think we're in a similar section of the game yeah um but yeah just, just the amount of different locales that mm-hmm. you can find yourself in is really impressive like the number of like maps they must have developed and the visual uh, distinction of each of those
1: locations. I was really impressed by. Yeah. And just like very seamless transitions, like the portal design is beautiful. And like the, like you never feel like you're reaching the end of a level. Like every time you pass through a door, like you can, I don't know how to describe this, but it's like, you can turn the camera and kind of see the entire world inside of, of the door that you're passing through. And it adds so much depth to the games. Like I, To the game. Like, I don't know, it's beautiful, beautifully done. I hope to see more kind of visually experimental games as a result of these kinds of titles, like not just hyper realistic human faces, but kind of really um, like these cartoon styles and can just be really dynamic and expressive. And yeah,
0: I'm not. I'm personally not crazy about the
1: character design. And Psychonauts 2.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and I find that to be like a weaker aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I, I know that they're pulling from, you know, a lot of the characters were in the original 2005 game. And so they're trying to capture them and bring them into the modern era. <laughs> but I just, I, a lot of them feel intentionally kind of like ugly. <laughs> yes, yeah, very uh, 2000. <laughs> Five and t- like yeah, I don't know,
1: it's almost like cat dog. or <laughs> yeah, courage. yeah. It feels like, like uh
0: yeah, Nickelodeon early cartoon yeah. network rocket power. Um, it's yeah. meant to be like a little bit off putting. Yeah, um, so I don't love the character design, uh, but I understand what th- I think they nail the aesthetic they were going yes. for, for. It's just not an aesthetic that I personally uh love. It's like a sixties
1: uh, noir, like almost <laughs> like, kind of wacky. Yeah, yeah meets Looney yeah. Tunes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. It de- yeah. Definitely. Capitalize. It's it's hitting all that. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um, I want to talk about Lake because this yeah. game was such a such a unique thing, and also is one that resonated with the both of us. So why don't tell us tell us about Lake, Jamie?
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure. So Lake came out to Xbox and PC uh, September first. It's a it's developed by Gamius. I think is how you say it. G A M I O U S. They're from the Netherlands. Hmm. Um, they're independent game developer. Uh the game itself is as Spencer referenced before, you play a uh I think she's supposed to be forty years old, uh woman named Meredith who and, and the game is set in the ooh, is it the nineties or the eighties? Eighties, like eighty 80s. nine. There you go. So late late eighties. And Meredith is a, a developer on is a software developer mm-hmm. and she's a workaholic is what they set up very quickly from the beginning like she's basically spends all of her time working crunching they, crunching yeah and they make it really clear that like her boss kind of like takes advantage of that a little bit he's mm-hmm. got a little bit of like dude bro energy um you don't ever see him but you talk to him on the phone at several points and yeah. he very much encourages her overwork mm-hmm. and kind of takes advantage of it um and uses her uh her hard work to advance his own career mm-hmm. her, the story premise doesn't really make a ton of sense but basically <laughs> uh she's taken a two-week vacation from her job as a programmer to <laughs> go back to her hometown providence oaks um oregon. which is a oregon which is a small town on a lake uh thus the name of the game lake <laughs> and her father has just retired from the postal service there. He was the he was the mail person for many years in Providence Oaks. And so having just retired, him and her mother are on a, a vacation in Florida and they have not found a replacement yet to replace him as the mail person. And so she is taking a two-week vacation from her actual job <laughs> to come be the mail person in Providence Oaks for two weeks while they look for another person to hire. What, this, you think
1: mail peopling is easy? No, right I don't game? think it's easy, but I... <laughs> I just don't think
0: that the mail service is a government organization. I don't think they would let a random person just come in and right. deliver the yeah. mail for two weeks to cover even if it is the previous mail person's daughter. So, and also the idea that you would take a two week vacation from your job yeah. to go like deliver mail for two weeks is kind of hilarious but yeah. also like also like aligns with the character that they create mm-hmm. for Meredith, which mm-hmm. as I, so, so in the game, you are, you're seeing cutscenes and making dialogue decisions, um, around the story. Usually you're presented with two, sometimes three options of how to respond to props from different characters. Um, that's what you're doing kind of in between the quote unquote days. Um, but the game takes place over two weeks and each day you are, uh, Given free reign of the character to uh, its third-person perspective, and you get in your mail truck and you deliver mail, they give you a list of addresses that you need to deliver mail to. You have a mix of letters that go in mailboxes and parcels that need to be dropped off at the house doors, and you have a map um, with all of the different mail delivery spots marked. Mm-hmm. So you travel around the world and you deliver the mail. A lot of the times you deliver the mail, you just drop the package off, you just put the letter in the mailbox. End of story. Sometimes when you deliver the mail, you get an interaction with a character. And so there's a handful of characters in the world that you start to build relationships with as you bring them their mail every day. Like the crazy cat lady.
1: Yes. Uh, Mildred, <laughs> right? Mildred Jenkins? Uh, yeah. uh, they're, sorry. I just, uh, maybe you're going to get to this, but it's also like as you're delivering mail, you start like do, picking up favors for the townspeople. Yeah. Like they'll yeah. be like, like Mildred will be like, oh my cat is sick. Uh, do you think you can take him to the fisherman you're delivering something else to? And then you like bring the cat over and you just end up, you start. And maybe this speaks to Meredith's personality of doing more always, but it's yeah. like you start going beyond your male personly duties.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, that's spot on. And so like, I, I'll i start by saying, and I think you agree with this, though, like, I really enjoyed the game i especially Mm -hmm. really enjoyed just the mail delivery which you know the the truck the postal truck itself does not go very fast Mm -hmm. um the actual process of delivering the mail it's it's a little bit tedious like Mm -hmm. you need to park get out of the vehicle walk up to the mailbox meredith doesn't walk especially fast she has like Mm -mm. two speeds like slow and slower (laughs) you can make her walk faster but it just makes the animation of her legs move a little quicker and i don't really know that you get anywhere faster um (laughs) <laughs> but yeah so you have to walk up to the mailbox you have to press a button to put the mail in the mailbox there's a whole animation for her putting the mail in the mailbox and sometimes she'll say some little comment like "Ooh, these look like bills uh, or, yeah. what a pretty envelope <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's she like, has a little commentary <laughs> then you have to walk back to the truck you have to press the button to get back into the truck then you drive to the next stop it's all very uh, I, tedious I think is the best word for it monotonous maybe but there's mm-hmm. something about the Repetitive nature of it, the fact that the the actual world that they built is very beautifully designed. Like the lake itself, the trees, the mm-hmm. sunlight pouring through the trees, mm-hmm. it's all very pretty um, in a slightly cartoonish way. But it still is is like very yeah. visually pleasing to Bucolic. look at. It's very yeah. calming. You turn on the radio, and it's a local radio station that yes. only plays two songs. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> just a repeat, and they're not like necessarily good songs, but they're kind of perfect for this like late eighties vibe yeah. that they have going on. Like, like after very a while cheesy. you start singing
1: along and,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and And there's something about all of that that just made it very peaceful. Mm-hmm. I'm having like an incredibly stressful time at work right now. And there was something just so... I don't know. It was just such a relief to do something that felt very simple and structured. And I knew what the results were going to be for the things that I did. It was methodical. It was like almost meditative for me to be delivering this mail. And there's something that feels really good. I feel like we talked about this a little bit with Devin Mm -hmm. Price, Dr. Devin Price, when they were on the show a while back. But This thing that video games can give us that we don't always get in our day job, which is Mm -hmm. this feeling of completion of a task. Mm -hmm. Like, I just I felt like I was accomplishing something with every day of the game that proceeded with every letter that I dropped off. Yeah. It just felt good (laughs) to get that sort of feedback from something because so much of our day to day lives, so much of our work. um, for most folks is not necessarily task focused. We get mm-hmm. mired in intense projects that have deadlines that are months away that mm-hmm. and we just don't feel that consistent sense of accomplishment. And yeah. So for me right now, all of that was really, really great. Did that, does this resonate with you? You're nodding your head a
1: lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just the satisfaction of, you know, you get through the list Um, The day is done. You've, you've had a pile of mail and now it's gone. Uh, You park your car. Like there's just a sense of closure and you're rewarded and there's no, um, you know, politics or drama or uh, like, I don't know. It's like a very controlled, uh, peaceful, almost therapeutic repetition of like, I can, I can, yes, I can very much see um, why, like, I guess why Meredith's doing it. Uh, while still being a workaholic it's like it's yeah still, it's you're still getting those uh dopamine hits of doing a job well done but there's not that constant overhanging pressure of like especially i feel like in a software environment there's always something to fix always something to keep building mm. always something to what are you going to do next how are you going to grow and it, it's just nice to kind of like have that satisfaction at the end of the day um and also like just being in nature, like driving around, yeah. like you mentioned, the like the sun coming, like the dappled leaves, the light coming mm-hmm. through, and the constant presence of the lake, and um, being outside with your truck, getting out, delivering packages. Like, like physically, I think that would be very satisfying too. Like just being able to move throughout the day. That's something that I miss very much. Working from home constantly, there's no more commuting, no more, you know, getting up and walking around, getting coffee, getting lunch. Um, like there's just so much less movement unless i'm more intentional about it so it did something very it hit on something on a fantasy latent within me just kind of being a male person (laughs) and remembering how much how enjoyable and soothing it is just to look at nature um yeah like uh, y'all know i've been doing ecotherapy and we've recently switched from um being on a lake, LOL, doing paddle boarding <laughs> to switching to um, ecotherapy, forest bathing, which is just fancy speak for walking through a forest, um, <laughs> but there's just something about being among nature. Um, yeah. Like my therapist was talking about how there's a it in, it inspires a natural awe in humans to just be in the presence of nature and trees. Mm-hmm. Like we just feel good being around them, and it's true. And I feel like I really was getting that from Lake as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so all of that about Lake,
1: really great, love it. Yeah. And also,
0: and also there's, <laughs> there's the tech issues. Oh yeah. Uh, the bug that you referenced has been fixed now, but I do think, you know, if you're interested in playing this game, I would maybe, uh, well, you could absolutely buy it, start it now. It's, uh, I think it was $20 on yep. Xbox. Be aware that there are some bugs that the developer is actively working to fix. Mm-hmm. They fixed these like big game breaking ones, um, but if you don't want to deal with any bugs, maybe wait a bit longer. Keep an eye on their Twitter page and and wait for for the their tweets about patches coming out to die down. But right mm-hmm. now, it you know, small development team and there's definitely some some buggy stuff in here. Mm-hmm. What I aside from the bugs. The game from the very beginning, I think, very clearly sets up this idea that, like, Meredith's tech job Mm -hmm. is overworking her. Mm -hmm. She is overworked and she is not enjoying her life. And that the idea of moving back to Providence Oaks to deliver mail would make her a much more complete human because she would be in a much more peaceful environment. At first, <laughs> that that dichotomy or whatever, like what they were positioning as kind of her her choices there, made a lot of sense to me. And I was like, great, yeah, of course. I was like, and I can very much see myself playing this game and getting to the end and choosing, if they give me a choice to choose to stay in Providence Oaks and continue to deliver the mail. Mm-hmm. As I played this game, and you get more and more of these asks from the folks in the town to do things for <laughs> them. and And there was... <laughs> even if I didn't want to do it, I felt like Meredith would do it. Like mm-hmm. as I got a stronger sense of who Meredith was as a person, yeah. it just felt like she was someone who was constant, who was a person who was constantly putting other people before herself yeah. and doing things for others. Um, because that's what she does. Yeah, You just get the vibe that that's the kind of person that she Real is. And so you start, energy. Yeah. And so you start like taking on more and more things for other people. And the further I got into the game, the more I thought I was just like, so Meredith's options are that she can like go make a bunch of money and work for a tech company where she's overworking herself and not mm-hmm. considering her own needs. Or she could move to Providence Oaks, make a lot less money, live in a prettier place, get to be outside, but she's still overworking herself and not taking care of any of her own needs. Like yes. each day that progresses, the game gives you more and more mail to deliver and you get mm-hmm. more and more like quests to take care of for other people. Yeah, yeah. And more and more people are coming to rely on you. Like people rarely yeah. ask you how you're doing. They just yeah. walk up and start talking about their own problems yeah. and what they need. And you just like <laughs> agree to help them. And I was just like, this isn't good for her either. Like mm-hmm. these can't be her only two options. And this, woman, night, this woman is 40. When she's gonna? When is she going right. to make a choice for
1: herself? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. And I feel like that was like, it's like you finish your day and then you get home and it's like, you maybe can watch TV before going to bed uh, or potentially like hang out with someone and do something for them. But it's even like yeah. your free time is like, like you're, it's it's kind of the impression that you're tired from a day of delivering mail. So you like kind of watch TV until you fall asleep. It's like, I'm uh-huh. not seeing much more like life-work yeah. balance than you were, uh, than you had in the city.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, you know, I don't want to spoil the game, but they're It does, uh, there is a way to kind of open up a third option uh, that I ended up pursuing, but it Mm -hmm. just kind of, I don't know if the, I don't know, I didn't get the sense, and this is me projecting perhaps, and Mm -hmm. maybe the game developers uh, had a different perspective on this, but I did kind of feel like the decision, the idea that you would stay in Providence Oaks and deliver the mail was being positioned as the right decision, Mm -hmm. um, because that is the You know, you're choosing uh, peace and quaintness and small town life. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the right thing to choose. Mm. But because of the way Meredith was still making decisions that benefited other people around her and not herself, Mm -hmm. I felt like it was a false choice because that those two options that she had before her still felt like it was her leaning into a lot of the stuff that wasn't going to bring her real happiness right? and that she wasn't learning how to try to find out what she actually wanted. She was just continuing to do what she thought everyone else around her wanted to do. Mm. And I just like, I don't know how much of this is like meta narrative that I was reading into the gamer was actually there. Sure. Um, But yeah, but I I felt, I found that very interesting.
1: Um, Well, I think the, the fact that there is a third option, maybe, Speaks to that. Like maybe yeah. there is something there.
0: Yeah. But you have to very actively pursue that third option.
1: Or you got to actively pursue life if you want to change <laughs> things.
0: Amen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you think you're going to come back to life? I know you or <laughs> To life. <laughs> do you think you're going to come to back to life? Wake
1: up, break me up, this serve <laughs> me. An essence anyone? <laughs> Do you think you're going to come back to late? Um, uh, You know what? I think I am because I did, I I kind of craved something. Like I like these kind of hybrid games that are like a little bit visual novel, a little bit narrative kind of driven walking simulator, but also having like, I, I I like the slice of life type stuff. So I, I think I will because I do find it very soothing and um, like a lot. I love Psychonauts too. It's very like platformy. Um, I, I don't know. I just want something that feels more. Uh, hmm, what's the word? Like grounded, or uh, like, I think it's a nice palate cleanser between yeah. the games. So yeah, um, yeah, and it,
0: it's not especially long. I think it. Right. I ended up replaying several days because of some bugginess <laughs> issues again, but I think like. Without any bugs, you could probably get through the game in six hours. Maybe less if you're yeah. doing a lot of fast traveling. I didn't do much fast traveling because it was so meditative for me to drive around in the truck and mm. deliver the mail. But I think if you if you are not enjoying that to the same extent, um, then yeah, you could fast travel and, and beat the game quicker than that. I do think it's worth checking
1: out. Totally. Um, two thumbs up
0: Yeah, Pixel two, Therapy.
1: Two thumbs and... And one of those little flags in the mailbox that you put up to say that the <laughs> mailbox is has mail and outgoing mail. <laughs>
0: I love it. I love it. Well, let's go ahead and transition over to our guest uh, for today. Uh, that guest is none other than Kana herself. <gasps> That's right. Today we're chatting with Ayu Larasanti, the voice actress behind the main character of Kana in the upcoming PlayStation exclusive from Ember Lab, Kena Bridge of Spirits, which wow. is a game that Spencer and I are very, very so excited, excited for. Very excited for. I can't wait for that. Um, Kana is IU's debut as a voice actor, but she is no stranger to performance. Her mother, Emiko Susilo, is a veteran voice actor, narrator, and singer. And since the age of five, IU has studied and performed with Sudamani, an ensemble of musicians and dancers based in Bali that was actually founded by several members of IU's family, including her father and uncles. So
1: Dynasty. very
0: musical, performative yeah. family right there. Um, Sudamani performs gamelan, which is a traditional form of Balinese ensemble music that uses primarily percussive instruments uh iu describes it much better than i can in the interview that you're about to hear but what's really incredible is that musicians and vocalists from Sudamani, including IU and her mother are featured in the score for *Kana bridge experience so mm-hmm. it was just really amazing to us how much of iu and her family and her culture were brought to this game and seemingly in a really collaborative and respectful way too uh, Spencer and I had a friggin' blast talking to IU. Her energy and passion are so contagious, especially when she's discussing uh, her experiences with Sudamani and the performance of Gamelan. Uh, I think she had Spencer and I ready to, like, book the next flight to Bali <laughs> <laughs> at multiple points yeah. in the interview. Um, but it was also really interesting to hear her share her experiences as a new voice actor and talk with her a bit about the upcoming game and her own interactions with gaming. She's a ball of energy, and you all are going to love her. So without further ado... Here's our interview with Ayu Larisanti.
1: Hello to our wonderful guests, and thank you so much for joining us in the virtual pixel therapy studio. Uh, To start, could you share your name, your pronouns, and just tell us a little bit about how you spend your time?
2: Yes. righty. So, hello. My name is Dewa Ayu Dewi Larasanti, but I usually go by Ayu. It's shorter and sweeter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, I'm a dancer, musician, and singer. And currently, I am an incoming senior at UCLA. So that'll be Woo-hoo! that'll be fun. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> what are you studying? Uh, I'm studying world arts and cultures. Um, I'm also minoring in ethnomusicology and entrepreneurship. If all goes well with my papers, I hope, you know, Mm. (laughs) but uh, (laughs) those are what I'm studying. So a lot of arts and, um, it's kind of like anthropology, critical ethnography, that kind of, that kind of beautiful. Yeah. Like
1: bringing together those two different worlds. Um, I love that.
2: Yeah. It's pretty cool.
1: (laughs) And are you, you're a lifelong dancer and musician. Um, I'd love if you could tell us more about where your passion for dance comes from.
2: Yeah. Um, so I would say the first thing that comes to mind for me is that, um, Dance has a very strong association with friends and family. Um, I've trained, of course, since I was five. I've been dancing since I could walk. But uh, the people who taught me were my cousins and my aunties. And so... um but, you know, by association, those are like the first memories I have of dance was like following my cousins around. Like I just idolized them. So I just wanted to do everything that they did. So when they danced, I was like, OK, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and we would perform at temple ceremonies in Bali. Um, and that also just there's a very special like I can't describe that feeling, but it's so special. Mm-hmm. It's just performing for your community, giving back for your com- giving back to your community um, mm-hmm. without necessarily expecting anything in return. Um, And that kind of performance setting, it's, you know, you're in, you're in a courtyard and you're just, it's super low key and Mm. people are watching and you're just, you know, trying out a dance for the first time or trying out a composition for the first time. Um, And it's just a really wonderful feeling. And so I think uh, those were my first memories of dance and they've kind of stuck with me all this time. Um, Yeah, I'd say there was a, there was a time where. I didn't really want to dance a lot. There was a phase. And I feel like a lot of musicians and dancers probably go through this phase. Or artists in general where it's like, I don't want to do this. And our parents are like, you have to do it. And I'm like, no. And they're like, yes. And so (laughs) so it lasted years. Um, So I had to get a little bit of a nudge from uh, some competitions to get back into the game. Absolutely. uh, That was, yeah. But I would say at the root of it, um, it's my friends and family and how I feel dancing and what kind of like memories I have from when I was little that just keep resurfacing when I dance. So
1: I love that, uh, how it's grounded for you in, in family and doing it for family and friends and the sense of community. I feel like to dance is such a purely, it's like pure physical expression. Um, You don't need anything to dance other than your body. Um, And it's just, I feel like you can't separate how someone dances from who they are as a person. Like it's such a unique um form of expression.
2: Yeah, I would say that too. It's you can just tell who somebody is and what their personality is by the way they dance. Sometimes it's it's really cool and it's hard to describe. Like like you're saying it's like their their identity and their bodies are not separated at all from their movements and their expressions. So it's really cool.
1: <laughs> so for the folks at home wondering why uh, a video game podcast is interviewing a dancer, <laughs> um, <laughs> we are so excited to have you in the studio, Ayu, because um, you have recently worked on, or you've been a part of an forthcoming game, Kena, yeah. Bridge of Spirits. Um, tell us
2: all about who you are in the game, and what got you involved
1: with the project.
2: (laughs) Yes. So, Kena is my character um, in Kena Bridge of Spirits. (laughs) She (laughs) is. (laughs) I mean, you know, (laughs) it's not very clear. But, um, so, Kena is a young spirit guide. She goes on this journey to a secret, sorry, a sacred place of knowledge, Mm. and on her way uncovers an abandoned village um, that is totally afflicted with corruption. And so here she finds a lot of trapped spirits and, uh, they're, they're creating chaos and unnatural decay everywhere. They're just, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And so on this journey, Kana has to face the pain of her own loss and of her past to kind of untangle what secrets there are in this place and, and figure out how to help these spirits. And so, um, on the sacred shrines that she finds in this village, there are wooden masks and -hmm. these masks honor people who have passed away. And so Mm -hmm. the, the natural decay and the natural, um, what is it called? We'll call it decay. Sorry. The natural decay of the masks, the natural rotting of it symbolizes Mm -hmm. the passing of the spirit onto a more peaceful life onto the other side. Um, But what's happening here is that they're all, decaying unnaturally or like it's like they're stuck Mm. or like it's like they've this has been here for a hundred years and why hasn't it decayed or it's like Mm. very strange like petrified yeah yeah like petrified very very strange and so um she uses so using her training as a spirit guide she has to understand what's keeping them from moving on and how to help them reconcile with their past Mm. um and so she uses the masks and uh relies on her spirits to pull them to pull the spirits into combat. And so these encounters, the combat, the fighting, they enable the spirits to finally move on, which then restores kind of the natural beauty of the landscape and of the of the place in the village. Um, and Beautiful. so, yeah, and she gets, you know, help from the little creatures called the Rot. And, so uh, cute. They're called yeah, the they're Rot. Just, they're the cutest thing in the so ever They're so cute. Yeah, <laughs> I think, yeah I, we'll probably talk a little bit more about them later because they're such a such a character, you know, mm. but uh they, you know, with their help, she's able to help these spirits and help guide them into a safer and more peaceful place. Um, so that's kind of a little bit about Kate Nash. Like she's <laughs> it's a really cool story. I think. <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited um, to
1: play. Yeah.
2: And yeah, tell us about uh, what, what
1: got you involved uh, with Ember Lab and the project.
2: Yeah. So, f- 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 okay, let's see. From in the beginning, the first thing I remember is them contacting uh, GSJ for music because they wanted to incorporate Balinese music into the game. And so uh, they communicated with my parents and my parents, you know, gave them a whole feel about how to do Balinese music. It's a very it's a sacred mm. art form. So you have to do it in a certain way. You have to be respectful in these certain ways. And you can't do this. and You can't do this. And you. there's a whole lot of rules. Um But ultimately, the goal is to be respectful to the culture and respectful to the instruments and the music. Um, And so, you know, Jason was like, yeah, sure. Why the heck not? Um, (laughs) And so Jason Gallaty is the composer for Kena Bridge of Spirits. And um, so they agreed to all these different, you know, cultural, you know, rules and all that stuff. Mm. Um, And they came to Bali and recorded our musicians in Bali, so we ended up recording with Gamelan Sudamani, which is uh, the organization that my parents founded with my dad's siblings and um and they're you know professional musicians and so Emberlab came to Bali and recorded in Bali and i uh was a part of that because my dad was the composer that collaborated with Jason and so I was there for the collaboration there for the composing. I sang in the score. Um I helped my dad, you know, figure out melodies or whatever it was. A real family. Was kind of, <laughs> yeah. It was a real family affair. And, I love that. and like I, Jason stayed with us for a little bit in Bali and Wow. You know, and it was so that was kind of my first entry into the Ember Lab project. And uh that was just such a cool experience. It was like so surreal. I was like, whoa, like I don't I can't even Gra- like I can't even imagine. Like this is so cool. And I just had so much fun because it was with my family, right? My uncles, my cousins, uh, my extended family. Everybody in Sudamani is it just feels like they're my blood relatives at this point. Mm. Um but that was yeah, that was kind of like how we got introduced to Amber Lab first. And then we did that whole project recording in Bali. Um and then afterwards they contacted me again and they were like, Hey, would you be interested in doing voice acting work? Um and I was like oh sure <laughs> i was like i don't know what this is that might be cool and i was like oh i get to you know maybe i get to be like a little rot <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i was like maybe i can be one of those little guys like they uh, were <laughs> like yeah. another side character or maybe you know a tree or something right. but, uh, <laughs> i didn't know it was they were considering me for kena and uh wow that was that was insane and so you know we got that process starting and then I think, I don't know, it was, they, I just think they, you know, took a big chance on me because I was a new voice actor, although I'm a wow. I'm a dancer, I'm a singer, I'm an, a musician, so performing is not new, mm. Um, mm. and my mom is a voice actor, so it's like, there you know, there were all these skills kind of in the air, but they right. weren't kind of like tied together quite yet, and so uh, through, through this process, we were able to kind of pull at the different strings of, you know, what I can do and what my family members can do and, and kind of put together a really cool character, so... That's I was yeah. That's a little bit of how we yeah <laughs> how we just got a little. I mean, yeah. what a whirlwind!
1: Um, <laughs> so you mentioned that voice acting was new to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine too, working on a video game was also new to you. Uh, what what surprised you about working on a game, or what stood out to you about the experience?
2: Yeah. So as a as a new voice actor, I feel like just the whole experience was new to me. So there were a lot of things mm. that I had to learn. So many things that were surprising. Um, but some of the coolest things that we did. That were that were very surprising in video games were the um, effects, effect sounds, mm. effort sounds. Sorry, oh yeah. effort sounds. My bad. I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like e word, e word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the most surprising to me were the effort sounds because in video games, you know, for the different controls for the different actions, you won't have one kind of sound. You'll have maybe four or five different sounds. Because if if we're like running, for instance, you don't want to have the same like. <laughs> Mm. Like the whole time is kind of wild. So there are different kinds of breathing. Right. You'll start picking that up, huh? Yeah. 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 And so that was really interesting because it's like not necessarily something that we think about in our daily lives. Like, oh, when I walk. I make this sound <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, when I run, mm-hmm. I make this sound. So kind of learning how to do those effort sounds and figuring out different ways to breathe or different ways to do a jump, or different ways to dash it all in a little studio. <laughs> <laughs> <Kind of difficult. laughs> um, and it was really, really a cool experience. I, there were times, you know, like if there's a combat sequence, mm-hmm. you have to have the hits, right? You have to like have, a, oh, like, ah, whatever it is. And this is not a big booth. So they mm. were like, ah, oh, you just like relieve your stress, you know? And, and, <laughs> On multiple occasions, I would kind of like get into a fight with my brother beforehand. Kind of, <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, "Dode, we need to sit down and have a yeah. have a conversation about something. Disagree with me, come Just on, piss me off, piss me <laughs> yeah, off." Exactly. I was like, "Please, come on, give me your worst." And, uh, <laughs> and so um, that was really cool because then kind of prep me for combat sequences so i think i took out some of the chunks of the foam that's here because i like punched it hard or like i did something weird so yeah uh, <laughs> i would say yeah the effort sounds were really really cool um, were you in the booth like to, jumping yeah. around like... oh i was <laughs> yeah it was so funny it was funny because i was like trying to get into character so i would like jump or like do this thing but that would make a sound and mm. they need to record my sound but not my feet. They they needed my mouth. So I was like, do this. Ah. And then it was like, oh, that was great. Now we we just need your, just your voice. And I'd be like, oh my goodness. Now I can't jump. It was crazy. Um, And I kept, cause at that time we had a microphone here. It was like standing up and it was kind of like, my mom's tall. She's, she's Hmm. quite tall and I'm, quite not tall. And (laughs) so it was like, the microphone was like above my head, so we had to keep tilting it down, but I would keep hitting my head against it or like I would keep running into it. It was so funny. (laughs) I kind of wish we had like videotaped it because it was so like hilarious. Who knew voice acting was so hazardous? (laughs) Who knew? I was like going to hit my head into different sorts of things. So (laughs) yeah, but I was jumping around and panting and jogging in this little booth. So it was... A whole <laughs> physical experience.
1: <laughs> now, Kena Bridges Spirits is a very uh, story-driven game, and you've touched a bit on yeah. um, you know what's going on with Kena and and the core of her journey um, and. I'd love if you could dig in a bit more there and tell us about some of the, what are like the kind of emotional themes or tones that you think are explored in the game?
2: Yeah. So I'd say there are a lot of different emotions and a lot of different themes that are explored. Um, from, of course, happiness and joy, like those little rots who can't, like, you know, they make you so yeah. happy. If you've to ever kind seen of, Spirited
1: Away, like oh, Miyazaki, yes. like oh, know, little oh, sprites, that's yeah. what I want y'all at yeah. home um, to be picturing right now when you oh, think yeah. about yes. the rot.
2: <laughs> yeah, those, that is the perfect way to describe them. Um I love how Miyazaki films, mm. like I am, I've... Yes, please. But <laughs> yes. that's so, next. We're gonna so, manifest. Yeah, manifest, manifest. <laughs> so those are kind of you know some of the lighter themes that are explored are the happiness and the joy that comes with seeing these little creatures or meeting people and um and interacting with people, and you know that's kind of one end of the spectrum. And on the other end, it's like there is some pain and there's a lot of trauma that is addressed for different characters, not just for Kana. Of course, she also has to kind of reflect on her own loss and her own pain Mm. but when confronting different spirits they come with their own stories and they come with their own tragedies and loss and so some of the themes are quite dark and um like you know combat sequences are some some of the just some of the animations some of the visuals are quite scary so Mm. i think that is really cool. It's not just like, you know, you're fighting in a yard in broad daylight. It's like, <laughs> no, there's that. But then there's also this completely different world. It just feels like it's transformed. Um, and so I think there are just a lot of different kinds of themes, both like emotionally and also just visually. There's a lot going on. Um, and I think it'd be really cool for for people to play and to kind of experience that along the way and experience the journey with Kana and confront these other stories and other losses and and things like that so Mm. yeah it's a wide spectrum (laughs) i love that's what i
1: love most about games i think is the capacity to really take you to such emotional highs and emotional lows all in the same experience um like Mm -hmm. you can really get so much from one game um so it's really exciting to hear all of that um back to Kana, Kana, the character um what do you think makes her unique as a heroine? And what were your, some of your favorite things about her?
2: Yeah, she is so cool. <laughs> She's <laughs> such a unique character. Um Of course, firstly, I would say her little rot. You don't, I don't don't know if, I don't think that's a, a, you know, a common thing to find in in video games to see little bundles of joy following you around and (laughs) doing some of your work for you. (laughs) That's a super, I think, fun feature. And uh, another really cool thing about her is she has a staff Mm. and this is very unique. And uh, the staff, you know, does light and heavy and charged attacks um, Mm. and does a lot during combat. Um, And she, later in the in the game gets an upgrade to turn it into a bow so it can also turn mm. it into a bow so it, it's like this really cool versatile tool um she can you know create a shield it, it's there's just so many functions and it's really beautiful it's like this gorgeous piece of work and so um it'll it'll be explored later in the game as well but it just it just means so much to her to have this staff and it's so powerful so i think that you know her connection to the staff and and it's functions and abilities just are really great and really mm. cool. Um, she also has a scar. Which is very cool. It'll Ooh. be further explored in the game Ooh. and explained <laughs> in the game. But it's very significant <laughs> and definitely really unique. It's it's a prominent feature and uh it's important to what she can do. So that'd be really cool to to, you know, share with everyone if, if they see it and if yeah. you know how they feel about seeing it. I I didn't actually notice it when we were watching. We would, you know, watch some snippets just to see how things worked or like a certain tone or if my tone wasn't matching the scene or something like mm. that. Um, I actually didn't notice it at first. And I was like, wait, wait a second. And then like later on when there was a certain function or a certain I can't remember what it was, but a certain thing was going on. I was like, wait, I see a little thing. And then it was <laughs> anyway, it's <was> really cool. <laughs> Um And of course, lastly, she is a spirit guide and uh, has a special gift to help guide restless spirits into a more peaceful end. And I think that's really unique, finding somebody who essentially fights for peace. yeah I mean, that's, I mean, you know, there are a lot of people who fight for peace. That mm-hmm. is normal. But in a video game where combat, like the where the ultimate goal is to help guide this other person to a place where they will be more peaceful, where they will be more happy, mm. is I think a very unique characteristic Um and it's something very special, um, and yeah, I hope I can be more like her in that in that way. You know, absolutely, find peace.
1: <laughs> you mentioned uh you mentioned combat, which is another really exciting aspect of this game. Um yeah. it sounds like there will be all sorts of, I mean, there's the staff itself, um, but also the the rot who you sort of partner with um will create different um fighting and combat opportunities for you as the player. Um so can you tell us more about the significance of the rot in the game? What is Kana's relationship to the spirits?
2: Yeah, of course. So Kana has a very strong relationship with these little guys they're so sweet um the rot are very very important part of the game both to the story and to the actual game um and so she'll, she'll you know find them hidden in the world in different spots and they'll join her her team and um the name of them rot actually is very specific it's to specify that they're responsible for decomposing things in a natural mm-hmm. way right natural decay natural decomposition and um So, yeah. So one of the reasons that uh, this land is just covered in corruption is that all the rot are scattered and they're they can't work together and they're all over the place. And so Kana helps find them and create a team where they can work together and they can do what they naturally need to do. Um, She so so in a sense, like she's kind of like their leader, Mm -hmm. um, kind of like. Almost like a big sister, maybe, but like mm. leader, and the little rot are her little minions. <laughs> they remind me very much of when i when I teach dance at mm. uh at Sudamani in Bali, sometimes all the dancers are five-year-olds or four-year-olds or a mix of like two to six, you know, like, and they're just so small. Yeah. And those just go everywhere. But then sometimes one of them is like in a in the pond and like the other one is like in the bathroom and the other one is on the other side of the house. I don't know how she got there. Yeah. It's like sometimes they're everywhere and we have to like track all of them down. And so it kind of, they, you know, the little rot remind me of my little dancers in Bali or my little musicians when I try to get them in one place, and try to get <laughs> them to do things. Aww, i love <laughs> um, That's adorable. It's really sweet. Yeah. So that's kind of like their um, function kind of in daily life. But in in terms of action, um, as, you know, Kana's little minions, they do a lot. They can direct or sorry, they can be directed to move things around. They can give her a boost. They can distract enemies or infuse Kana with more power more action um and so yeah it's it's cool they they add a lot of i would say power to the story but also to the game to Kana's abilities like without them she wouldn't be able to do a lot of the things that she does so it's
1: really Mm. cool that's really cool i
2: love too this
1: sort of this juxtaposition of um like you know we think of rot and decay inherently as things to be afraid of or that things that are to equate with death and um, that we should avoid or it's, it's disgusting. And so I love the way this game is sort of embracing the fact that decay is as much a part of life as birth is, and it's all working together. It's not inherently bad. Um, It's just another part of life and, and this symbiotic relationship that we should have with the earth. Um, And so I I love that aspect of it.
2: Yeah, I do too. It's there's so much maybe I don't know about few. I, there's, you know, when people think decay, they think dirty, they think mm. gross, right? But it's natural for anything to decay, for wood to decay. Like or I mean, I would I should say everything should decay if it's not decaying, right. it's, it's there's a problem <laughs> if it's still on earth 500 yeah. years later there's a problem Whoa. Um, yeah. so yeah it just it just brings i feel like there's a lot of beauty in terms of the process of decay and, and naming these little guys those little guys rot like when you when we hear rot it's not associated with good things it's associated with broken things or just gross things or things that are dying and gross and dead and that's not what it is in in nature, right? It's beautiful. It, things return back to the earth, wood returns back to the earth. And, um, it's kind of a way for nature to kind of reach a more peaceful end or reach a a natural ending. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's more, you know, as it's like a life cycle. So it it gives way for a new cycle, a new generation of things to happen, um, Mm -hmm. for new plants, for new living things. And so I think, yeah, I think the association that we have with Rotten Decay, will be different f- from this game just like looking mm. at the different ways that these words are used in the game or like that the meat what the meaning is and what it looks like is very different so it's it's really cool
1: if only the moldy food in my fridge could get up and be my friend oh
2: my goodness
1: <laughs> my poor moldy food <laughs> like i wish
2: oh my goodness sorry, sorry. if only yeah. they could be our friends yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I wanted to take a minute to go back and talk a little bit more about the music in the game. Um, you mentioned that Balinese music features heavily in the score for Cane and Pidge Spirits. Um, and there was an interview that you did with Ember Lab um, where you talked about how the score is a fantastic representation of the flexibility and the meaning of gamelan, which is um, the form of uh, Balinese music and dance that your family um, has practiced uh, for generations and shared with the world. Um, so, I'd love if you could say more about um how the game is influenced by the score and um like the significance of that
2: yeah so i j it's it's really cool. I think the incorporation of gamelan in this score is really was really a great choice um I think well, gamelan itself is a very flexible form of music, mm-hmm. but there are certain ways it needs to be honored in order for it to be done correctly right there you can't just like throw around a violin and call it respectful. (laughs) Like, there are ways to be respectful to the instrument. um, And just, like, can't throw around a drum, you can't step over the drum. So there are a lot Mm. of, like, you know, rules in place that are there to respect the music. And I think the theme of this game, of it being kind of guiding a spirit to reach a peaceful end, like, that is so important. And I think it's so prominent in Balinese culture. And Balinese culture and Balinese music go hand Mm. in hand. You can't have one without the other. And Mm. so... I think because of, of those themes, of it being about the community, about giving back, it just resonates so well with what gamelan means and, and Gamalan, what gamelan does in the community, right? It's, it brings people together and it gives back to the community. Um, So, you know, there are like so many different kinds of ensembles and so many different instruments. um, And there is a danger to taking one and just using it inappropriately. Right. Mm. For instance, like a pool party, you wouldn't you wouldn't use gamelan at a pool party. There Mm. there are certain instruments you can use at a pool party, but (laughs) traditional gamelan is not it. What you hear in a temple should not be the same thing you hear in a bikini. Like I'm just saying, Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So like you know, gamelan families need to stay together. The instruments need to stay together. And so um, it's a lot of hard work. To you know, you've got to put in a lot of hard work in order to play gamelan. So I think it adds a lot to the soundscapes because I think gamelan is not necessarily used only as just music all the time, right? It's also used in soundscape. It's also used as sound effects. And so because of that, and because of the different instruments that we use, it feels like you're in nature. I think it really mm. transports the gamer into uh, into the world into the into this world that Kana's exploring and kin is traveling in and um i think that's really important and the addition of gamelan the use of the different instruments at certain moments the use of the effects it it really paints a really i don't know Mm multi-dimensional experience i think um and yeah i just i I would say that one of the most important things is that gamelan transports the player into this fantasy world, into a Southeast Asian inspired, East Asian inspired fantasy world. Mm. Um, and, you know, we do that with the different, because Gamelan also is made of natural materials, right? So you hear the bamboo or you hear the chimes mm. or something like that. And it's, and you see it or something like that, or like, you know that that tree over there is, that has like maybe this sound or like all that stuff. So I think it really helps paint a beautiful picture and a beautiful experience for whoever's listening and whoever's playing. Um, I don't know. It's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds
1: really cool. And I, I also feel mm-hmm. like it's incredible how the sound of gamelan is inextricable from Bali. Like when you're talking mm-hmm. about the, you hear the bamboo and the, like it's not just the instrument, but what the instrument is made of and mm-hmm. the sounds all working together. Um, it just, Uh, It's just incredible how it feels like the game almost brings together like its own little micro its own world that is entirely unique to this it can't be recreated. Um, It's really beautiful and I want to correct myself because I I described gamelan as Balinese music and dance but I think uh, and feel free to correct me on this further, but I feel like a more accurate way to describe gamelan would be um like an orchestra uh, a type of uh, instruments working together is that if for folks who yeah. have never heard of gamelan, yeah. can you maybe um, just give a quick like mental picture of what it kind of looks yeah. like
2: yeah, so gamelan i I would say, yeah, it's like it, it's it's like an orchestra it's a a big family of instruments that work together to create beautiful sound and um There is actually Javanese gamelan, Sundanese gamelan, Balinese gamelan, gamelan in other provinces as well. But the one that uh, we specialize in in Sudamani is Balinese gamelan. My mom specialized. Like her family is uh, from Java. So her dad is from Java. Mm -hmm. He specializes in Javanese gamelan or specialized when he... Taught at uh, the University of Hawaii Manoa. He also went mm. to UCLA. Sorry, this is off topic, but <laughs> it's a fun fact. Um, UCLA fam. Yeah. <laughs> UCLA family. We're also a Cal family, but you know, that's my mom's alma mater and I go to UCLA, so we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, yeah, Balinese gamon is a whole family of instruments working together. um A lot of, there are so many different kinds of ensembles, right? So there's mm. gongkabiar, which is uh, actually, yeah, gongkbyar, smarandana, uh, jagog, which are bamboo instruments, anklung, which are smaller instruments. Um, there's just so many different kinds of instruments and so many different kinds of ensembles. But ultimately, what gamelan means is a family of instruments working together. Um, and traditionally, it's learned by ear. So wow. no notation. It, so it results in actually, I think, longer retainment of pieces and of com- a very complex understanding of how each instrument works and how each instrument interlocks with one another. Um, and so, actually, a really cool thing about gamelan is you have a partner. Um, mm. Every instrument has a partner. So the drums, there are two drums. Um, for the reong, which are pots, there are four mm. of them. So they're partners and partners. And then for the gangsa, which are kind of bronze instruments, they look mm. like xylophones, but um, they have bamboo resonators. They're also in partners. So you have bolos and sangxi two uh, of the main parts so polos is on beat and sanse is off beat, and what that does is say like maybe jamie plays polos or something like that and these are all the beats and then i play Sangse offbeat so i'm going to play the same thing as jamie but offset
0: so mm. what you
2: can do with that is you can play really 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 fast and really complicated stuff because you split the work in half and so mm. with you can't you Know just have one partner, and not the other, it just doesn't make sense, or it just sounds really weird, and not balanced, yeah. Um, and so, you need your partner there, and you need your whole ensemble there for it to make sense. Um, it's and like so I would the say, rod you know, working together, yes, exactly. You can't just have one, one, one little rock, and they're cute, but they can't do much by themselves, yeah, they gotta have their friends, so yeah, yeah it's. It's a complex form of music, but it's so much fun. So, if, you know, if anyone out there wants to go to Bali, I would say if you can find an organization that teaches gamelan or teaches Balinese dance, um, I would say take a class. Like, it's it's a totally different experience of Balinese culture once you play. Um, mm. It just feels so different. And also the other thing is that it is so tightly interlocked and interwoven with dance Mm. there's a really strong relationship between balinese dance and balinese gamelan and you can't just have one Mm. Um, and so in sudamani actually we train everybody to be a dancer and a musician so all of our dancers are musicians all of our musicians are dancers and what that does is it helps create a really deep understanding of what the other is balinese music is also very open-ended so we don't necessarily have like an exact four repetitions of this or exact two repetitions mm. of this. Like sometimes you need four and sometimes you need 64. And, you know, if you're in a temple ceremony and the ceremony is going on for a really long time, <laughs> you you got to make it last. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got to keep playing. And uh, sometimes, you know, we'll play for hours. There are just certain different kinds of pieces that you can play. And, um, of course, dances are slightly different. Some of them are, are more set, right? If you have a group dance with like, you know, 10 four-year-olds or something like that, maybe we want to keep the same repetitions because they're four year olds and you know, we might want to help them, help them out. Um, but there are dances that are, very open-ended where everything is up to the dancer, right? And the musicians just follow. And wow. in that situation, musicians have to be super attentive, have to be really good at listening and really good at watching for cues and really good at following. Um, you can't just be like, nope, it's over now. And it's just like, move on by yourself. And you're just like, there are 30 other people here with you. You got to work together. And so sometimes people don't, musicians don't meet the dancer until they're performing. Wow already like dancing and they come out and you're like oh this is the first time we're meeting this person so it's it's really just a complex and open genre of music and it takes a lot of skill and a lot of um training to to learn and to do well and uh when say like when musicians and dancers meet for the first time that is when it's really important to know what the other thing is right that's Mm -hmm. when it's really important for musicians to know how to dance because they know oh if the dancer does this with their foot this is what it means. Or if the Mm. dancer does this with their arm, this is what it means. And vice versa, the dancer has to be able to cue the musicians onto the next section. I'm like, oh, I'm done with section A. Mm. I'm going to move on to section B. I need to tell them that that needs to happen without turning around and being like, we're moving on. (laughs) I'm going (laughs) to use my feet. I'm going to use my arms. And so, um, you know, that gives way to a lot of open-endedness in pieces and for it to really adapt to the environment and to whatever the situation needs. So in temple ceremonies, right, if... If something needs to be moved along quicker, you can cut pieces and mm-hmm. you can make it happen because of cues, because of attentiveness, because of following, because of working together. And the opposite is true as well. If we need it to be longer, that is also possible. So it's really cool. It's it's. A form of music with a lot of cues Wow, got to be on your toes all the time. Yeah,
1: it's just the yeah. level of, like you <laughs> said, like the active listening and the level of mm-hmm. empathy involved. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you, everyone needs to be connected and um, paying attention to each other. And it's not just the people, but the instruments yeah. and the movement. I mean, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. all of that working in tandem, I can imagine it must be absolutely incredible to it's, witness.
2: It's incredible. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's incredible to witness, but it's so much more fun to be a part of it. So, <laughs> like yeah. The, the coolest thing is, the, I think the best part is, it, at least in my family, at Semani, we mistakes are more <laughs> like jokes. Yeah, right. And so gamelan just so it feels alive, right? Because like <laughs> something that they'll do that my dad's group does a lot. They'll like cuz they're all professional musicians. They've all been playing for like decades and decades. Mm longer than I've been alive which is ancient. So
0: <laughs> don't tell my dad I said that.
2: <laughs> uh, don't tell my uncles either they they're all young young folks. Uh but what's really cool is because they all they're all like incredible musicians they all like you know went to or a lot of them went to art school arts conservatory a mm. lot of them teach and are, are train young 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 people mm. um but what's really cool is like when they get together they'll deliberately try to get someone else to make a mistake or something like that. (laughs) They'll deliberately try to like get their partner to do something weird or like get like, you know, it's, it's a really funny to watch that happen because it just shows like Balinese people are ultimately, I think very, we're very fun. Mm -hmm. Um, And mistakes, whatever, like mistakes Mm -hmm. are not end all be all. Like if you make a mistake, that's okay. It's actually better because now it's fun (laughs) and now it's funny for everybody. And so (laughs) that's, I think one of the coolest things about Gamlan is that, Um, Of course, you wouldn't do this in competitions and you wouldn't do this on a festival stage. (laughs) But if you're in temple ceremonies, if you're in, you know, if you're just performing for your community, that's when it feels really alive because you can just do whatever the heck you want. And if they'll do this to my brother a lot, he'll sit down and (laughs) like whoever he's sitting with, his uncle or whatever, (laughs) they'll like if my brother does. will also be trained to be able to hop in without knowing the piece. Mm -hmm. That's another kind of training wow. thing that we go through but essentially <laughs> sometimes like my brother might not know he'll be like ah this is the structure of the piece but he might not know every single melody mm-hmm. so sometimes uncle, because the melody instruments will hold the mallets like this it's like a little like a little hammer mm-hmm. and then they'll go like bum and bum right it's like it'll be like a kind of longer melody or something like that, they'll go like, they'll be here and they'll prep and then they'll play another note. <laughs> oh so my God, will confidently play this note and yeah. they'll be wrong. Oh <laughs> and then turns around and stares him down. It's uh. so hilarious. It's so funny. <laughs> oh <God. laughs> but it, it's that kind of stuff that's just like so much fun and um, highlights how, you know, life is to be taken lightly. Um, yes. Is... You know, there are a lot of moments in life where you just can't control everything that happens, and mm. you can make the best out of a situation that you don't know about, or like adapt to a situation that you don't understand at first. So, I don't know. Those are some of the fun parts of Gamelan and the cool teachings and the the way you know we adapt to different cultures and different moments and different times, and so it's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's a fun. It's a fun. Genre of music. I hope you guys get to come and hang out with us someday and play gamelan. Oh, that would so hell fun. yeah! <laughs> that'd be I'll, amazing. I'm on my
1: way. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I love that'd that. Be so cool. <laughs> um, and I
1: feel like it. There's so many things that you can apply from that to life, and and just the way that it allows you to stay resilient, to stay open to change, to stay, um, you know, to stay. Um, good-spirited in the face yeah. of unexpectedness. Like, that's just really beautiful. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. So, Kana's going to be coming out really soon. Like, I, I think when we release this episode, it'll be a week before the game's release. Ooh, um, have you fun. played the game, seen yourself as Kana
2: yet? And Ooh. what was that experience
1: like? I
2: So I haven't actually seen the game in its full glory yet either. Like I think yeah. I'll, be, I'll mm. be watching it and playing it at the same time as everybody else. Um, and so I have seen of course I've seen the trailer at the same time as everyone else. So I've kind of seen the releases at the same time. Mm. I haven't seen a lot of it actually. But I did watch the trailer and there were, you know, certain clips that we watch or like play back for a certain, we have to go over something. That's been such a surreal experience. I think mm. that would be the one word that I would use. It's just so surreal because it's, it's weird to hear yourself because yeah. I was like, I would, okay, I would look at Kana on the screen and I'd be like, Ayu, like I hear Ayu, like Ayu, be quiet. I'm trying to listen to Kena, like hush, hush. I'm, she's talking. Shut up. <laughs> but I'd be like, wait a second.
0: <laughs> like,
2: that is Kana talking. I'm confused. Yeah. And it was just so weird. And so... Like, maybe that's because I'm I'm newer to voice acting and Mm. to video game voice acting and to just any sort of animation voice acting. Like, when I watch other video games, I'm like, that makes total sense. A hundred percent, yes, that's what Super Mario sounds like. Or like, (laughs) when I watch... animation feature like animated mm-hmm. films yeah that's what sleeping beauty sounds like yeah that's what raya sounds like I, you know like of course but like ken i was so strange because i now. heard You're myself and i was like
0: ah <laughs> and
2: i don't i don't really like listening to myself <laughs> talk i okay. talk a lot which is unfortunate for other people <laughs> i'm so sorry but i <laughs> like i hate listening to myself bad. like if i play any recording of me talking i'm like mm. i can't believe i sound like that like right this, it is. <laughs> yeah. this is so sad for me um <laughs> I, yeah, yeah It's terrible. So uh, when I heard myself, it was so weird. I, it was very weird, but it was so cool. I it's just never. I didn't. It just didn't feel like a PS5 game. It just felt like I mm. just fan up something. You know, <laughs> right? <man. laughs> I was like, this is so weird. <laughs> ah. And yeah. my brother actually, I think he felt the same. Um, he's my little brother, so he gets a lot of donate, do this, Dode get my coffee, nah. Dode get my this, and you know, sweet guy. But. <laughs> He also was like, This is so weird because like I just I don't think Kana will ever be Kana Kana will just be the animated person on the screen and you're just gonna be a voice that keeps talking to me when I don't yeah. want like when I don't want to hear you. It was funny. Uh but my parents thought it was really cool. So I think for them it may maybe was a little bit more seamless. Mm. And for my friends, it was maybe a little bit more seamless. Um but yeah, it was it was just so surreal. But it was Yeah, so I feel like cool. it's
1: an added layer cuz there's one thing of just seeing yeah. yourself like a recording of yourself or hearing yourself. Yeah. But hearing your voice coming out of a face that is not your face and yeah, uh, it it kind of creates <laughs> this whole separate entity from you that mm-hmm, is you mm-hmm. but not you.
2: I can just yeah. imagine that must be really wild to, <laughs> to see. Really wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say it's that's a great you know explanation of it. It's like hearing me but not seeing me. Yeah, yeah. But Kana is, I would say, like her features. We don't, we don't look very similar. Her character and design is inspired by Japanese characters, inspired by Mm. by Japan. And I myself am part Japanese, Mm. and so I feel like, in a way, that almost kind of gives me a little visual glimpse into something, into like a little part of my identity that isn't as featured. Because I very much parade myself around being like, I'm an Indonesian, blah blah blah. I'm Mm -hmm. Balinese, blah blah blah. And I don't give a lot of attention to like my javanese side or mm. my, my japanese side and those sides are much more calm and much more serene and peaceful i don't know i think mm-hmm. <laughs> when we look at my extended family it's like a different story but you know, just, if we were to stereotype my different parts of my identity it would be kind of a softer yeah but i think you know javanese people are a little softer than balinese people in general it it mm. comes through in our music too in our our different mm. gamelan styles but um it's it's cool to kind of see Kena and be like actually this is there are parts of my identity that I can see in her face that I can see in her design that yeah. make me feel a little bit more connected to different like parts of myself too so wow. but yeah it's it's, it's strange yeah <laughs> but it's really cool
1: <laughs> that's awesome that's beautiful yeah. um so just a few minutes left together and <laughs> uh we spent a lot of time talking about Kena which obviously mm-hmm. for obvious reasons so exciting we'd She's love awesome. to hear a bit about you like do you yes. consider yourself to be a gamer um mm. we know that you mentioned to us um that maybe you and your brother weren't often allowed to play video no. games um but what did your history with gaming look like and and what games do you feel like were really formative for you
2: yeah so um honestly i wish i were more of a gamer i just there's there's so many really incredible worlds out there that i just i just desperately want to be part of um so, I mean, we'll see in my near future what that looks like. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I, I do love games when I get to play. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, we didn't have a lot of video games in our house. Uh, no consoles, sadly. But I, th- I think that's because, like, in my family, we have a slight Tendency to obsession, like mm. if we like one mm. thing, we're super obsessed with it, like mm. chocolate, like gamelon, like <laughs> dance <laughs> it's prominent and it's clear <laughs> and so, because of that, I mean, honestly, I think it was a good choice for my my mom to make that decision of like, oh, mm-hmm. we don't want consoles in the house because, yeah. like my brother and I would have played for hours and hours on end, and I know this for a fact because like. I, if I get my hands on games, that's like what I'm I gone. feel like yeah. I want to do. Like, I just want to sit here and play for the rest of my life. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I, because of that, like, I was able to focus on school a lot in my mm. academics. And because we switched back and forth between Bali and America, my brother and I had to spend a lot of time on academics to catch mm. up to everybody else. Because um, in Bali, the curriculum is different and sp- taught in different language taught in like two languages and then here it's totally different as well like math science it's like so different um or like we're just in different units it's like mm. they jump around mm. like this it's like not is anyway so so much work have to spend, Yeah, academic. we just have to spend a lot of time <laughs> on academics and on language because we were moving around so much um, yeah. but i have to say when I was little, my dad went on a tour to Japan with his uh, with a small group of uh, Sodamani members, and he went to tour, and he came back, and he brought me a. Nintendo DS and he brought my brother PSP and my mom was livid she was so mad she was like what the fuck did you do you didn't tell me about this she was so mad i like no. but I was like I don't know what's happening but I'm gonna play my video game while well, you fight like keep yeah. this coming she doesn't notice me we're good yeah. <laughs> it was crazy um so when so he yeah of course he like brought us games to so he brought my brother soccer and he brought me back like um he loves Madagascar. You know the mo- the animated mm, movie with yeah. the lion and mm-hmm. hippo and the... <laughs> yeah. He, my dad loves Madagascar. I didn't realize this at the time. I just thought he was like looking out for me in my interest. Right. He's like, no, he loved Madagascar. He's like a sucker this, this for, for me. animated comedy. Oh my <laughs> yeah. god! So I played like racing games and um and Harry Potter, of course, and just like you know anything I could get my hands on and. I think at that time, not a lot of people had Nintendo DSs in Bali. People often would go to, like, video game cafes uh, Mm. to sit and play video games. Um, But I didn't want my mom knowing I was playing video games. So it was easier for me to hide in a closet and play video games than go to Mm. a cafe. Because people would snitch on me. They'd be like, I used blah, blah, blah. That's so rude. So um, so I would, like, spend a lot of time hiding and playing video games. Um, And I think, honestly, like... Harry, The Harry Potter game was so cool for me. Um, I love Harry Potter and the books. And at that time, I don't think I had, like, read all of the books yet. Mm-hmm. I was, like, working my way up. Um, but I'd seen some of the movies, you know, they a glimpse of them on TV or whatever. Um, but I just loved Harry Potter. And the thing was, I could explore exactly what Hermione, Ron, and Harry were exploring. Right. <laughs> and i I could go there myself i was like I could live it yeah right and it was just i think that was really really cool for me and that just felt like it was just so cool because it felt like an animated theme park just in my Mm. hands i could just go anywhere and do anything and and that was really cool and i think that was one of the formative games for me there was just so much i could do i could like cast spells i could run away i could like look at all these you know mystical creatures that i only read Mm. about and
1: Walk the hallways of Hogwarts.
2: Walk the the legendary hallways. And (laughs) that was so cool because I really did feel transported into another world. Mm. And I could just step away from my world for a little bit. Step away from reading and from school and from rehearsals or whatever. So that was kind of like... One of the former, like one of the ways I was like, actually, actually, maybe it's a good thing there were not a lot of consoles because <laughs> if I could play that for that amount of time, I could play a lot of things for a lot more time. I could have a second time. life here. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I could just be a whole other person. Absolutely. So, like, yeah, I would say, like, Harry Potter is just one of the games I think about a lot. <laughs> and um, throughout, like, middle school and high school, some of our family friends... Um, had Wii sports, mm. like Wii, the Wii, right? Mm, and so mm. that was, we spent a lot more time here in the Bay Area at that time. And so we would, my brother and I spent a lot of time at our friend's house <laughs>
1: playing Wii Sports. Wii Sports, the great equalizer.
2: And it was mm-hmm. great because our dads were friends because they're like Balinese dads. And so yeah. my dad like, let's go to like Pat Lily's house. And I was like, okay, like let's yeah. go. So we would go and our dads would just, you know, be cooking or whatever they wanted to do. And like all of us kids are like, Wii mm-hmm. Sports. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we would do everything. So that was (laughs) Great and beautiful. Another reason I realized that this, if I got a console, it would potentially be detrimental to my grades and to my extracurricular. (laughs) I did like seven extracurriculars in high school. I couldn't have done any of that had I committed um, as much time. Because, you know, gaming is hard. Like, Mm -hmm. it's a skill. (laughs) It's a lifestyle. (laughs) And you need to work on it. It's a lifestyle. So, like... Wouldn't have been able to do my seven extracurriculars if I had, you know, if I were working towards this lifestyle because it's, it's, you know, requires a lot of training as well. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then in freshman year of, you know, at UCLA, my roommate had a TV for a little bit. And so we played a lot of Mario Kart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's more of like <laughs> kind of guilty pleasure Absolutely. for me and kind of hiding away and playing video games.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love that. She games yeah. when she can.
2: <laughs> I game when I can. I'm not very good. So if anybody needs to feel better about their skills and needs a little confidence boost – please play with me. Yeah. I will immediately make you feel better about yourself and your techniques and your skills. So I got you. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. I,
1: thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show.
2: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such a fun conversation. I'm so glad um, I've had this discussion with you. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is just such a fantastic opportunity and you are- so lovely and have such wonderful questions. And I had so much fun. Oh my thank gosh. You so keep much. going. <laughs> <laughs> going on forever, but thank you so much. <laughs> Time is
0: up for today's session of pixel therapy. Thank you for tuning in. And we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own you want more pixel therapy come check us out at patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just two dollars a month plus opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly If you're not up for contributing monetarily but you enjoyed this episode you can show your support for free by rating and reviewing us on apple podcasts and following us on instagram at pixel pod that stuff is just as important and we appreciate it just as much Remember that Pixel Therapy is a happy member of the But Why Though podcast network, so you can support us by supporting them and heading over to ButWhyThoughPodcast.com. That's though with a T-H-O. Take a peek at the inclusive geek community they're building around pop culture news, reviews, and kick-ass podcasts like yours truly. And you can keep up with all this stuff and more by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com.
1: Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. Thank you so much to IU for recommending this week's side quest. I'm excited to tell you about Trash Hero Indonesia. And Trash Hero is an organization that mobilizes thousands of people around the world to take action on waste in their communities, change their everyday behavior, and reduce their dependency on single-use plastic. Um, They rely on tons of community help to do this. Especially in Indonesia, Bali is finding that many of their beaches and shores are being buried by up to 60 tons of plastic rubbish each day. And it's becoming an annual reality, uh, an issue owing to changing weather patterns like monsoons um, and inefficient waste management, leading to a really big marine pollution crisis um so please check out trash hero indonesia and donate to the organization at slash donations
0: thank you for that side quest spencer that is our show for today so go forth run a story mission level up some stats and don't forget to hug an npc every now and then we'll be back soon with some more pixel, pixel therapy, therapy. <laughs> bye-bye